Hello, everybody. This is Bernadette Pager on in the Foreign Life Radio, 1150 AM KKNW and CHDTV. Uh, really glad to be here today. We've got two, two hours on the same talk, topic because it is, I don't think right now in the state of Washington and probably across the nation that there's anything that has any more urgency. Uh, before I begin, uh, I need to say that the views expressed in this program are not necessarily those of Children's Health Defense. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking some some legislation uh, here, and so I just want to make that known. Our program is sponsored by the great, wonderful members of Informed Choice Washington who generously donate what they can to keep truth and freedom on the air. And that is what that is what is at risk today. Free speech and conscious rights are literally under attack with House Bill 1333. Um, We talked about it a little bit last week, introduced the bill to you, told you a little bit what it was about. It is the uh, a bill to establish a domestic violence extremism commission. Um, but it had its first hearing just a couple days ago, and it was even more appalling than than we had originally thought, right? You just keep getting layers and layers. So I am bringing on um, both hours individuals who were bold and brave, who made the drive to Olympia State Capitol and showed up in person to testify in opposition to House Bill 33. So I'm gonna bring on my first guest. His name is Doug Bassler. Um, there he is. Welcome, Doug, to an Informed Life Radio. Well, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate, I know that you're at an event and you're in your car and you, you got this temporary setup. So I really appreciate you carving out the time. Um, and I think you are like me. I mean, you went to all that effort to testify in person and very, very few people ever do that. So I thank you for, for being a good citizen and showing up. <laughs> so um, I'm going to take you on a journey. Before we do that, I barely know you. I saw you. I heard what you said. I was proud of you doing what you did. And then a friend of mine who's with Informed Choice Washington says, I know who he is. And he put us in touch because she knew you because you had run for public office last election cycle. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Doug. Um, Who are you and what led to that moment where you decided I got to go testify against this bill? Well, okay. Well, uh, thanks again for having me. Uh, my name Doug Bassler. I uh, I've run for uh, U.S. Congress a few times. Um, I'm a business owner. I have an advertising agency, so I specialize in primarily in uh, TV commercials, uh, video video based marketing is what we call it, Prologue Digital. And um, I'm a lifelong. <laughs> I was a lifelong youth pastor, so. Uh, I really uh, have a heart for our young people, our kids, and um, during the um, the COVID uh, lockdowns, I uh, waited about three weeks, which is what they gave us, and then I started um, doing open air uh, meetings. I call them street church, 
in defiance of the lockdown orders. And uh, as I said during my my run for Congress uh, last year, um, there is no excuse that allows them to suspend our constitutional rights. And HB uh, 1333 is definitely an attack on freedom of speech. It isolates uh, uh, individuals based on their gender, their ethnicity, um, their sexual preference, and their religion. And, uh, and, it, and it seeks to use the power of the state to, to shut down free speech. And I felt like that was something I couldn't just sit by. And, you know, mm-hmm. you think a guy that had run for Congress would have done this before, but that was actually the very first time mm-hmm. that I've ever gone to Olympia and testified for a committee. So I was a little nervous, but mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter. I think my wife has a coffee cu- cup that I really like. It says, do it scared. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a lot of Americans, you know, we, we kind of got into this mess because we were all um, a little complacent. Somebody else will take care of it or you can't fight City Hall or who cares? It doesn't touch my life. Right. We were very lazy, complacent Americans as a whole. And I, I count myself in that until I was about 50 or so. And I began to kind of wake up and realize all of the stuff that had happened that I should have realized were happening. And I had no idea because I wasn't paying attention. So, you know, one of the gifts of COVID is, oh boy, people are waking up and realizing what happens if you don't pay attention. So um, a little bit about this bill. So it's described as this. In the first section, it says the Domestic Violent Extremism Commission is established within the office of the Attorney General for the purpose of establishing a comprehensive public health and community-based framework for responding to domestic violent extremism. It is the intent of this section to build upon the research and findings of the domestic terrorism study assembled by the state attorney general in 2022. What's so important about this is it's just not a bill written by citizens or by a, an, you know, some other entity in the state who goes to a legislator says, hey, you know, we got this problem in the state. We wrote this bill to try to fix it. We've got the attorney general. We've got a state employee who's got the power of his office and the money of his office, our money, funding him, giving him money to make a study and pushing legislation. And I want to know when I went and looked up the, the office of the attorney general. And one of the things that that office is is empowered to do is advise the legislature. But when did this office be step from advising the legislature to compelling, motivating, basically drafting, I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, drafting, and now heavily lobbying legislation? Do they report to the PDC, to the that public disclosure office? I mean, so it's like the government lobbying the government to get what the government wants. It seems like it cut out the most important person. Hello. Um, anyway, so that is a very concern. And then the other part of this um, bill that I want to read is what it does. And let me see here. I've got it. I thought I had it marked. So the commission, obviously the turn. So there The duties of the commission include, but are not limited to, so we don't know what's in the not limited to, identifying community-led and evidence-based solutions to combat disinformation and misinformation, 
address early signs of radicalization and develop public health style responses. Okay, so we're gonna stop right there. I've got a lot to say, but I, I'm gonna ask Nathan to please go ahead and play the TVW clip, uh, Emily, number one for us. Um, so just uh, very briefly, um, just who we are at the Center on Extremism. Uh, we are a clearinghouse of real-time information on extremism um, of all types. And so our staff regularly serve as expert witnesses, uh, provide congressional testimony, and provide expertise uh, to, uh, to law enforcement, to tech companies, and to other constituents on the extremist landscape in the U.S. And I wanted to start today um, by talking about the history of uh, white supremacy in Washington and in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, there is a significant history of white supremacy here, going all the way back to uh, the, the KKK's uh, Involvements uh, in the state uh, where, you know, up to 70,000 people participated in public rallies with the KKK in the 20s uh, through the violence perpetrated by white supremacist uh, groups, including our members of the racist skinhead movement as part of uh, as part of Volksfront, uh, including a, a, a massive spree of criminal activity. Uh, we've seen the brutal murders of uh, racially, racially motivated murders uh, in Portland uh, in the 1980s. We've also... Oh, sorry. And uh, this pattern has continued today, right? This is uh, meant uh, to show us that white supremacy has a deep history in, in Washington state, uh, starting from the KKK, but moving to the formation of, uh, of groups like the Aryan Nations, which were active uh, right just 30 miles uh, northeast of Spokane, uh, where that was the home base for their activity. And these white supremacist, uh, racist skinhead groups, uh, again, that were active in the 70s and 80s, and bringing us uh, into the into the early 2000s um, with groups like Adam Waffen Division, a neo-Nazi accelerationist group uh, that uh, had many arrests and uh, significant criminal activity here in Washington state. Uh, so this is uh, what sets us up for looking at the activity of white supremacist groups in Washington today. We can see uh, from the images on your screen here that some of this activity has taken place very recently, um, just uh, as early as, as recently as last weekend in Seattle. The images on the left side of your screen there uh, show members of the White Lives Matter movement participating in a banner drop over the I-5 uh, in Seattle. But what's concerning to us now is looking about uh, five years after, after the Charlottesville trial where we saw white supremacists come together uh, in full force in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, we've, we are starting to see again uh, the collaboration between these white supremacist groups. And this is something we're seeing across the country, but especially here in Washington state where we have groups like the white supremacist uh, network of uh, White Lives Matter, participating in activity alongside members of the Puget Sound Active Club, which is a white supremacist fight club, uh, along with these smaller organizations that we've seen pop up, uh, such as Rose, uh, the Rose City Nationalists, which you see on the right side of your screen there. Um, this organization just started their activity in August of 2022 and has already participated in five on-the-ground events, including in collaboration with uh, members of these other groups. Okay, so I, I showed that because she goes on and on, as you know, Doug, when she was there. Now, they're supposed to be looking at domestic violent extremism, 
but it was only about white supremacy. The whole thing was about white supremacy. Um, Bob Ferguson's study on which this commission and bill are based was only about misinformation, disinformation, and white supremacy. There was nothing about the individuals in groups that burned Seattle, that took over entire areas of Seattle, that, you know, the the shootings, the lootings, everything. None of those entities or groups were included. In fact, in, in Ferguson's study, there's some language in there that he said they specifically wanted to try to protect um, individuals um, who are um, fighters of like social justice. Um, so I guess moms who want to protect kids from dangerous shots are not considered social justice activists. I don't know. But, um, so, so then I want to show you, I mean, everything was about white supremacy and, um, and she named white lives matter. And one of the images, I don't know if you could see it. And of course our radio audience can't see it, but people were holding a banner over the freeway and it said, it's okay to be white. And she show that as an image of white supremacism. Now, honestly, I don't know anything about, about white supremacism. I was raised in the 60s. You're not supposed to see color. Just be kind to people. If people are mean to you, you know, it's not about race, creed, color, gender. It's about what's in your heart. That's how I was raised. So, and I've spent most of my adult life um, looking at medical freedom issues, pharmaceutical, you know, <laughs> corruption, that sort of thing. So I I don't have a voice into the deep details of some of the groups she's naming. But censorship is censorship. And so when it comes to, say, the term, the expression, the group, White Lives Matter, I, I want Nathan to, to show now the YouTube clip of Candace Owens to give it an idea. All right, guys, it is true. The internet is broken. You cannot use the internet today. It's not working anywhere in the world because I wore a t-shirt alongside Ye West, Kanye West, which read White Lives Matter. And God forbid, God forbid you wear a t-shirt that says White Lives Matter. We wore this for his Yeezy season nine fashion show here in Paris. And people are upset. They're very upset about that. They're going, why on earth? How could you? How dare you wear this shirt? How dare you make a mockery of the BLM movement? In addition to this, in case you missed it on Kanye West's Instagram page, he wrote this. Everyone knows that Black Lives Matter was a scam. Now it's over. You're welcome. That is the only response or the only thing that he has said publicly about wearing the T-shirt. And you obviously know if you're watching this where I stand on the Black Lives Matter movement. In fact, I'm doing an entire documentary to expose the fraudulent nature of that movement and the organization that stood behind it. Okay, so in that video, if you were watching the um, Kanye West and Candace Owens are both black and they both sported White Lives Matters shirts. And because they oppose and they're calling Black Lives Matter a corrupt organization. Now, I'm not getting to the politics of that, but here we've got a state bill, somebody supporting the state bill who helped draft the study, who want to make people on one side of this debate, the Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, the language, the bill, the, you know, everything about it. They want to criminalize one as if it is domestic terrorism 
and silence the other side. Um, so do you want to speak on that a little bit? Um, you know, are you seeing it the way I'm seeing it that they're just, well, there's so much there. I mean, uh, target rich environment, uh, in my opinion. Uh, so that's called the, uh, she represents the anti defamation league. And yet she sat there and defamed group after group, person after person. I don't, you know, to, to call it's okay to be white, white supremacist. Uh, that's, uh, that's extreme, right? Mm -hmm. That's very extreme. I did a little, while I was listening to her, I was, um, doing searches, uh, not using the big, um, search engine, uh, alphabet search engine, but I was using DuckDuckGo just in case anybody wants to know. And <laughs> I doubt that the United States government said that in between 2001 and 2019, there were 85 race related, basically hate crimes, uh, what we they would classify as domestic uh, violent uh, extremism. That was 85 uh, crimes in the entire country. That's five a year. That's so if, if you had one in each state, you would have 45 states every year for 18 years that had no uh, crime. So is this a case of we're using a nuclear bomb to get rid of a mosquito, right? So we have... Mm -hmm. So this is obviously blatantly an excuse to uh, criminalize freedom of speech. We yeah. don't need we don't need uh, popular speech protected. <laughs> we need unpopular speech protected. That's the point. That's what the founding fathers uh, wanted when they gave us the First Amendment, yeah. and they were uh, they were very clear about that. And so if we um, yeah we can't allow this. And, and the thing is, is that the commission technically doesn't have any power. They're supposed to explore existing laws, looking for ways to use the state's police power to enforce thought and, po and police thought and police speech. Yeah. And, and so the, it's just, are we going to allow it? Right. Yeah. And, and if, if we allow it and we roll over, then they go to the next level. So this is incremental uh, leftism, incremental, um, you know, uh, control. And, um, and then, then the other side of it is they want to use this as a public health. They want to use the public health model. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they were successful with the public health lockdown, right? So if they <laughs> yeah. can threat to public health, then they can come at it with a whole different set of rules, a whole yeah. different set of exceptions. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I'm, I'm still taking you on this journey. So we have this bill proposed and anything uh, violent that they're talking about is only about white supremacism, not the other types of domestic violence. We're far outnumber, according to your research, anything um, that supremacists are doing. I don't condone that at all. You know, so um, let's go on then, Nathan, if you could do us then the uh, TVW Emily 2, please. state. Okay. Now moving to some of the broader trends that we're seeing, uh, we are seeing more and more that uh, these narratives are motivating both extremists and non-extremists to action, right? So when we think about uh, something like the insurrection, 
we can we know that um, of the of the participants in the insurrection, about 23% of those were card-carrying members of extremist groups, right? Um, but the rest of the folks who were participating were motivated by this big lie, right? By this election fraud narrative, and these bigger uh, these bigger narratives and conspiracies are motivating extremist groups to action as they try to glom on and uh, have a common cause with more mainstream actors because they think if we show up to protest around these narratives, we can uh, potentially recruit more people, we can, uh, we can get our message out, and we can say, hey, if you're sympathetic to the idea that these narratives are being elevated about, um, perhaps you might be sympathetic to our other ideas. So I, I, I so resent her saying that because, first, okay, let me, let me, it's just so, I, I'm going to, um, <laughs> I get it. I'm, I'm going to share with you, um, let's see, I've got uh, something that it was a Substack post that I drafted and also put, are you seeing this here, um, uh, Informed Choice Washington. Um, it's about free speech and conscious rights, right? But here's this slide. Are you able to see that a little bit better, the slide that was presented? Um, in the blue bubbles, th this slide is labeled um, conspiratorial narratives motivating extremists and boosted by the mainstream. Well, it's not boosted by the mainstream because the mainstream is, is totally against anything that we say. But Here's blue bubbles, election fraud narratives, anti-mask and anti-vaccine narratives, anti-critical race theory narratives, and anti-LGBTQ plus grooming narratives. Well, I'm all those bubbles, Doug. I believe that there's some you monkey are. business in, in you, right? I mean, half the nation is in these blue bubbles, you know? And there's something going on with the elections here and there. We've seen the video evidence. These shots are killing people. These COVID shots are killing people. And the masks do not work. Like I'm against... What? Like putting a chain link fence to keep out a mosquito is what I've heard doctors say these masks are. The, 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 right. You know, and... Five, and five micron virus and these masks have a 25 micron hole in them. So it's they, the, the virus sees nothing. It just goes right. straight through. Exactly. And, you know, critical race theory, I I was taught, you know, raised, you know, going to St. Bernadette's grade school and John F. Kennedy High School, you know, and that whole Catholic tradition. I was taught that I do not elevate myself by putting down others. I bring them up to where I am. This whole critical race theory seems to be that in order to elevate people who might have historically been downtrodden, I have to become downtrodden. You know, it doesn't make sense. I have to, you know, I, let's just all be good to each other. Right. And, and, you know, anyway, so, um, and then of course, anti LGBTQ grooming narratives. And then the, the arrow then leads over to red bubbles that says increased threats against and, and I would say that there is likely very few what would be called threats, but there's probably passionate people showing up at at election stations. Medical professionals are having some heated debates. School board members are probably feeling it. You know, I mean, if your doctor told you something was safe and effective and then your husband got it and then he had a stroke the next day. Yeah, you might have a heated debate with your doctor. 
Like, why didn't you warn me, right? The myocarditis and the blood clots and the strokes. And and then the other thing it says that those people in the blue bubbles lead to is protests and disruptions at school board meetings, pride events, and drag queen story hours. And I ask you, on what planet are parents okay with grown men gyrating in front of four-year-olds in drag queen dress. I mean, please, I don't care if you like it. If you're an adult, go to it. It's you, you're an adult. But I, I, why are they saying that being against a child exposed to, to sexually lewd behavior, I mean, I'm just so appalled and offended by this. And I know most of America is, right? Okay. I got to calm down. So what, so. <laughs> I mean, the bottom line is, is that all conservative positions in their world are extreme. All, cons- all, all these positions that we believe that elections need to be open and transparent, that, that non-citizens shouldn't be allowed to vote, that you shouldn't be allowed to stuff the ballot box. Oh, well, you're a, a conspiracy theorist. Um, we don't, but we don't believe that you should have to, you know, my body, my choice. They, they, they say that all the time when it comes to abortion, but when it comes to a vaccine, no, you have to do what we tell you to do. So what's next forced abortions and, uh, forced, uh, sterilization and these different things. Right. So, uh, putting a vaccine that, you know, so, um, so having that and saying that anything that goes against the narrative that they're pushing is considered hate speech or, uh, uh, you know, they said they one of the things she said was um, they haven't defined any of these things. White supremacy is not defined. Yeah. Um, violence is not defined. They they were they were they literally were trying to say that speech is violence. Yes. Right? And yeah. speech is violence. And then they can say. We don't like that speech because that's violent speech. But this over here, actual violence, smashing the windows uh, in the towers down in Seattle, stealing mm-hmm. the jewels, uh, burning, uh, burning the police cars, actual violence. Well, that's social justice. So that doesn't count. See, they they can put any yeah. label they want. Yeah. And in order to win, mm-hmm. we've got to start talking. Yeah. If you want to have yeah. free speech, you better talk. If you yeah. want to have uh, freedom to uh, uh, demonstrate, then go demonstrate. If you want to have uh, the freedom to petition our government for redress of grievances, then you need to petition the government for redress of your grievances. This is uh, this is dangerous, and we're going to stop it. And it's not going to work. There, it's not going to work. I, yeah. like I said I have been to a, a meeting in person like that before. I mean, I think I spoke before a city hall. Uh, once and uh, some others never done Olympia. The room was full, and it was overwhelmingly opposed. And I don't. I think they want to put these things under the radar and get them through. And we know we can't trust Bob Ferguson. Just ask Tim Iman. You know yeah. what he's. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. so I. It's 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 obvious. It's all out in the open. This is allowed. This is not allowed. And that's what yeah. they're saying. They're, we don't allow you to question us when we have a vaccine mandate or a mass mandate. But the Supreme Court's already ruled 
that these vaccine mandates are unconstitutional. These mass mandates, uh, you know, that all that stuff's been taken out and, and yet you still see them, uh, people with them on. And so that it's a, it is all a propaganda war, but we're not allowed. They call, they call what we do propaganda. <laughs> well, it's all propaganda. I'm in advertising. I yeah. get it. You always yeah. put a slide put your slant, you put your spin on things you want to, you know, everything has advantages. Everything has disadvantages. That's something you learn when you're yeah. doing that. It doesn't matter if you're selling pizzas or cars or getting a, a, a politician elected, everybody has advantages and disadvantages. And that's part of it. And you weigh that, but you have to have an open conversation where we can discuss the pros and cons and we yeah. can figure out, make decisions, but they don't want, see the, pro, the, why is the why do they want to shut you up? Because their argument is weak. They yeah. are weak. And our arguments are strong, facts-based, science-based, love-based. We yes. love our children. We don't hate them. Yeah. We love them. protect their innocence. We want to protect them. You know, there's an explosion, an absolute explosion, two things that are very disturbing to me. Number one is explosion in sexually transmitted diseases. You want to have, talk about a pandemic? STDs are killing way more people right now today than COVID ever did. And this other uh, explosion is the number two cause of death among teenagers right now is suicide. Mm. So it's devastating. Why don't we deal with that? Well, why don't we deal with the fentanyl problem? But no, we're going to deal with shutting up conservatives. Yeah. And um, I want to show you, I'm still taking you sort of on this journey because it's so it's it's so much bigger than just one political ideology attempting to silence another. That's the surface of it. Um, this we began to see things moving in this direction um, a while ago. And in 2000, I forget what year it was. Um no, it was 2019, I believe, attended at University um, Bookstore in Seattle, an event that was put on by KUOW by, um, and it was the journalist is sold. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Raftery was giving a presentation. She was supposed to be talking about what it's like to be a journalist covering a controversial issue like vaccination. What it ended up being was her giving a presentation, like going through the history of vaccine hesitancy and sort of and mangling it the whole way. It was just ridiculous. And I was there and the my co-president in Form Choice Washington at the time was there. And a couple of times we just we interrupted and said, that's wrong. That 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 that's wrong. What you're saying is wrong. I've got the study right in front of me. And she just it was so infuriating what was going on. And so afterward, it was for some reason streamed on TVW. I don't understand why this was covered by government TV. It was whatever. But the film was, uh, the, the video was there. And then using uh, fair use to give criticism, um, I took and interspersed it with actual effects and citations to show her wrong, wrong, wrong at all these stages. But what I've got prepared to, to play for you today was Anything something- government creates, by the way. So TVW is a government uh, funded thing. Anything they create is not copyrighted. So oh, good. Good. Glad to know. Okay. Yeah. But still, yeah, we, we still used it fair, fair use anyway. Um, well, so using commentary. Okay. Yeah. Using commentary. So 
there's something that she said that we were really appalled with. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and have um, uh, Nathan play that. So that's the rumble, uh, number one. There, there, are, there are studies, actually, this is really interesting about social responsibility, that find that people who choose not to vaccinate um, tend to be a lot more prejudiced, again, like more racist. And it's not that they started out racist, it's that they're so, there's this a fear, this vulnerability that their children have. And they are afraid when they sort of see brown people, they see brown people as these vectors of disease. And that, that's kind of something that they're actually looking at, is that actually vaccinating is a, an anti-racist act, which I think is a really, that's sort of a fringe view, but I think it's really interesting. And that, you know, there are- Deeply offended by that life right now? I'm sure, I'm sure. Really <laughs> so you heard that voice, I'm yeah. deeply offended right now. That was me from the audience. But um, if, you're, and, if you're racist and you thought brown people were diseased, you would get vaccinated as an act of white supremacy. Because yes. I need to use your use your brain, people. Or 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 if we thought that they were diseased, we would make sure we would force vaccines on them to clean them up. I mean, none of it makes any sense. We were so appalled. So so after this event, we're I mean, you know, I mean so we're outside and I said to to Drella, I said, you know what? I think we just witnessed the birth of a new campaign against the vaccine safety movement trying to label each and every one of us racists. Okay. So that was 2019. And of course, KUW is national public radio and that particular station heavily funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. You know, it's right there in the heart of big pharma and, um, and, and global power interests. Um, so here we are now in 2023 with this bill and somebody putting up a slide that equates anti-vaccine with white supremacy, just like we heard that reporter claim in 2019. Oh, it's a theory that, you know, and then and then vaccination is an anti-racist act? Are you kidding me? I mean, how many people of color who are and people in poverty have been used and abused by the pharmaceutical industry as guinea pigs, lied to, poisoned? You know, I mean, the whole thing I found so appalling. So there we go. We're seeing all of these tied together. So I'm going to return one more, one more time to that, um, that post that I, I wrote there because I want to take you on this uh, this journey here of what I wrote about. So, so what in the world is going on? Well, with Anti-Defamation League is saying that anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, and all these other people are leading to um, extremists. So number one, it's just a mask, right? But because decades of studies on face masks showed that masks are unable to prevent prevent flu virus transmission and common sense backed by current studies show mask wearing comes with risks, especially to children. It was clear to many that COVID-19 mask mandates were not and still are not about public health, but a means to installing place holding frameworks for vaccine mandates and passports. And lo and behold, 
That's what happened next. And people said it's just a vaccine. But because the vaccines are unable to prevent infection, transmission, hospitalization, or death, and increased uptake actually increases all areas of risk, it is clear to many that vaccine mandates and passports are not about public health, but they themselves are placeholding and enforcement tools for compliance training and controlling the movement of populations. And this framework is now being transitioned from serving public health to serving public safety under the guise of domestic violent extremism. They call it DVE. And that's what HB 1333 is attempting to establish. Then I also say they're going to do the same thing. They're going to, they're going to hang climate change on this as well. Okay, and then step three, well, it's just extremists. It's just, you know, these scary extremist people. But because peaceful citizens who oppose masks and the seat 19 shots and who have concerns about election integrity and who are alarmed by societal move to sexualize children, because those peaceful individuals are now being labeled as motivating extremists by well-funded entities working with, with Attorney General Ferguson on HB 1333, it is clear that the mask vaccine extremism framework is not about public health or safety, but a tool for surveying, tracking, censoring, and controlling the population for for what purpose? Who benefits from censorship? Who benefits when the government proposes a framework that they acknowledge will violate the state and federal constitutions? So we have from a, Attorney General uh, Ferguson's own study, I quote, because effective state intervention to address these threats has the potential to implicate speech or association that may be protected by the First Amendment, or the individual right to bear arms protected by the Second Amendment, we include a recommendation that all stakeholders involved in the whole of society response outlined herein to be trained to have a solid, high-level understanding of constitutional principles that may be implicated by the state's response to DVE. So in other words, Ferguson wants the stakeholders who are listed in the bill to establish a breaking point where individual constitutional rights end and public health and safety begin. And this breaking point must be preventative. Rights must end based on someone's speculation that a particular viewpoint has the potential to lead to violent extremism. And this exactly mimics what they did with um, it with COVID-19. Now I'll go ahead and stop that and I'll read some more of that a little bit um, later in the show. Um, so, so there we have it all linked together. They, the, it, it's coming to fruition that all of these frameworks prepared people and prepared the, the structure. And they're even using the language of framework now and public health style system to impose a totalitarian government. And, and you know, the, the disruption and the division being caused is just, Doug, <laughs> what are we going to do? Well, first of all, we go on the air like this. We show up at meetings. Um, we talk to everybody. We go to our we officials. There's just, we cannot let this pass. We cannot let we, this pass. We don't comply. We, no. we will not 
We will not comply. And if we stand together, uh, they can't stop us. There's, uh, you know, it's the old uh, bugs life, right? The grasshoppers were, yes. you know, but they, they were, they had to keep it up because if the ants ever realized that they outnumbered them a hundred to one and see, we outnumber them and, and the government, the supreme law of the land is, is the us. constitution. Yeah. And the constitution uh, says we, the people. And so that makes us the sovereign in America. Yeah. We are in control. They are usurping that control. They're using uh, delegated authority. And, and uh, you know, I have a huge problem uh, with elections right now. What they're, they're, if they can't be unelected, then they're going to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And so level, we resist. We do not comply. And we talk. And we say, you know, uh, one of the things I said, uh, I heard my opponent, Adam Smith, uh, he, he didn't show up at one of the debates, but his um, his uh, mouthpiece did, and they were like calling uh, another congressional candidate, Joe Kent, uh, a white supremacist. And I said, "Well, hey, if we're calling everybody names, um, I think you're fat and I think you're ugly." Okay, <laughs> yeah. you know, name calling. There's yeah. no doubt de- they don't define that. You see, yeah. they just call name. Yeah. You're a race. You're a this. You're a that. You come, you come right back. Well, you're, you stink. You smell bad. I don't like the way you dress. You're funny looking. What are we two years old? I know it's so ridiculous. Yeah. But we have to treat it like it is. They're, they're babies. They're not grownups. They're not adults. And they're offended all the time. And like grow up, you know, this is the real world in here. And everything that, that you don't like isn't hate speech. Just because you hate it doesn't make it hate speech. And Mm -hmm. so we we don't we don't sit down and take it easy. And if you want to save America, open your mouth and talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and, and uh, you know, I had a a whole bunch of people that I knew that got fired because of uh, vaccine, or they or they just either they got fired or they um, decided to leave their employment because of these vaccine mandates, and they got better jobs and they had mm. better opportunities. And so, you know, we don't. Um, you know, I was, what's the old saying? I was looking for a job when I found this one. Right. And so we, we have to like not be allowed them to control us yeah. with the, when they get that lever on you, mm-hmm. you have to say, I'm, I do not, I will not. And, uh, you know, there's a problem right now. I'm, I'm a boss. I have a company. We have, we have a problem finding good people. And so if, if people start to, you know, not, be working because of this stuff. Eventually, the businesses are going to go. Holy cow! We can't get employees. We need yeah. employees, and so this, you know, we have power. Our power is in being ungovernable and not complying to this tyranny. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the whole point. And to throw their language back at them. So I don't know if you were going to play my testimony or not. But oh I yes. Their- so yeah, that that was my goal. I'm going to here. Here's let's talk about discrimination, loss of opportunity, uh, being bullied, being intimidated. Let's talk about that. I'm part of a group that experiences. Yeah. It. And this yeah. legislation makes me feel unsafe. And you can tell it's like, oh, my gosh, they're using our own. Th- it's so Sololinsky. They all love Sololinsky rules for radicals says you hold your opponent up to their standards to their moral standards. And so um, that is that is what we do. They want justice, but they don't they want justice on this weird skewed scale. Well, we don't we don't fight that by saying, well, we want our guys to be let off, but your guys get locked up either. No, we want justice. If our guys yeah. do wrong, 
they should go to jail. If your guys do wrong, they should go to jail. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, I'm going to take it a little bit out of order that I gave you there, Nathan. If you could play the TVW Doug Four for us, please. Well, my name's Doug Bassler. I live in the 47th District. Good to see you, Mr. Stearns. And uh, friends with Sam Lode as well. Thank you guys for your service. Appreciate it very much. Um, as uh, I'm a, a member of a group that is frequently discriminated against, I uh, suffer the loss of opportunity. I'm excluded and I uh, have been a victim of intimidation uh, simply because of my gender, uh, my sexual pref preference, my ethnicity, and my religion. I'm a white, cisgender, heterosexual man who's a Christian. And uh, this proposed legislation makes me feel very unsafe. Uh, being targeted simply because of my ethnicity uh, makes me feel uh, very uncomfortable. Uh, I live in Kent, Washington, one of the most diverse cities in the state, and I can tell you this makes me feel a lot more unsafe than going to my local grocery store uh, with people of color and uh, people that I love. Uh, Martin Luther King said once, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I believe that using police state powers to intimidate uh, people just because their ethnicity is wrong, and I would ask that this committee would stop this here, that stop this bill here and not even let it come to the floor. Thank you. Well done. Um, and, you know, Part of what I was getting at and bringing you this journey of, of what we saw, what was presented, is that what they are doing in attempting to say that white supremacism is an issue and labeling all of this, it it's got an ulterior motive. It's not about that. People are being caught up. They're being told, you know of all, all of this stuff, but it's an ex excuse to get in this, the, the tracking, the surveillance, the censorship. I mean, if anybody's watched any of the clips of the, the Davos meetings and, and all the world economic forum ideas, uh, you will own nothing and be happy. You know, they're, they, and in fact, house bill 1045, that's going to set up a pilot, um, universal basic income is moving through the legislature right now. So they're, they're laying in place um, all of these through legislation, all of these um, tools to put us in this really scary totalitarian state and to pit person against person. You know, like you said, when you go into the grocery store in, in camp, these are your neighbors. You're not judging them by the color of the skin. If somebody comes at you with a gun, you're going to judge that person. You don't care what color their skin is or, or, or you know, what their orientation. And, you know, personally, if an adult do what you want to do, just leave the kids alone. Right. Let's let the kids have innocent childhood. Anyway, um, but it's not about those things. Those things are being used to make us argue, to divide us, to, to get people to hand over their freedoms um, and, and to take freedom away from us because they, they were, they're being made to be afraid of us for some reason. It's exactly like with COVID. We were 
as a society, we were made to to believe that no matter what, no matter if you had natural immunity or zero symptoms, you could still kill grandma if you didn't wear a mask and you didn't get a shot. There's no difference here because everybody is being proven guilty of being a domestic terrorist unless they prove otherwise. And I don't know how you prove otherwise if you happen to be you know, what you, you know, white Christian well, male, how do you prove that you're not a domestic terrorist? Right. I don't great, know. Had so-called, you know, this manufactured health crisis. I often said, uh, you know, Jesus, I quoted Jesus. Jesus said that it's the sick, not the healthy that need a doctor. Okay. That's in yeah. the Bible. Yeah. Why are we treating, why are we treating healthy people? Why are we quarantining healthy people. See, this is, it's turned every, you know, up is down, you know, in is out, everything's backwards. We'll redefine, but that's the, that again, the the danger of HB 1333 is the lack of definition. They don't have any definition. They said the government, uh, the federal government has a uh, definition for uh, uh, domestic terrorism. We don't think it goes far enough because we want to include speech. Right. So that they want speech is violence and this speech is violent is our speech, not theirs. And Mm -hmm. so what has to happen is we have to fight back. We have to uh, we have to push back and we have to use hold them up. See, we have an entire generation. This this new generation that's coming up uh, that they've been trying to indoctrinate. They have justice in their heart. And, and what we need to do is show them what justice really is. Yeah. And it doesn't take long. My, um, my two uh, youngest daughters, uh, one's a teen, one's early 20s, uh, they honked at a guy and, and that had cut him off or something. And I'm like, girls, you don't do that. And this guy gets out of the car and kicks the rearview mirror off my daughter's car. They were terrified for, for uh, weeks. And I said, you know, in this society, you don't, you can't bring correction. And they're like, dad, it's not fair. And I'm like, see, that's in their heart. Their heart mm-hmm. is that right. And so uh, driving down here to ocean shores today, just going through mile after mile of these homeless camps with mm-hmm. their, their, their human uh, garbage dumps, their human waste. And it's, it's not right. And they want to make that more. They want us all to live like that. We'll yeah. own nothing and be happy. They'll have, every, yeah. you know what? They'll have everything and they'll still be miserable, terrible yeah. people. So we'll, we, the thing about America is that we America got one minute. Yeah. Up. It, it gives us opportunity. They don't, they, no, no, you get what we tell you, you get, and you can't work hard and get ahead. And that's, see, that's what's made America really the most wonderful place on earth. Yes. I would agree. And I hate to rush you here at the end, but we're, we're just about out of time. I like to leave people with hope and you know, we can bring love back to this country. We can bring back togetherness, get rid of divisiveness. You know, let's let's just talk. We have to talk. We have to dialogue and we have to stop HB 1333. So don't just don't be afraid. Talk to everybody. We all have in common that we want to be happy. We want to be free. You know, um, you'll be surprised. Well, agree with you. 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I've got another guest coming on. She was there in Olympia too, my next guest um, after we take a break. And she, we're going to be continuing this conversation because it is so very important. Um, what they've already said that HB 1333 is model legislation for the rest of the nation. And so here we are and let's model dialogue. Let's model bringing common sense. We have to get real debate um, back happening. One of the what methods they do is we never get real dialogue in public with both sides really earnestly wrangling. We usually get something presented at us, three minutes of public comment and no dialogue. We got to figure out how to get dialogue. So Doug, thank you so much for, for standing up and speaking out and for joining me here today on an Informed Life Radio. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So everyone, you've been listening to 1150 AM KKNW, uh, Inform Life Radio and CHD TV. We're going to take a few minute break and we're going to come back and talk some more. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one-world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Were you harmed by the COVID-19 pandemic response? Were you or a loved one injured by the vaccines or the hospital protocols? Did you lose your business during the lockdowns, your job from the mandates? Did the school closures and forced masking hurt your children? Did your family suffer spiritually and emotionally from the church closures? You are valued. You are seen. Sharing your story can help begin the healing process. Truth and Accountability Project Washington, TAPWA, through Informed Choice Washington, is holding a listening session event this Saturday, January 28th, from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Wenatchee Convention Center. Doors open at 1 o'clock. Come here from NBA legend John Stockton, a rising voice for medical freedom, and many other important voices from within our community. Come to build community, to create a historical record, to find help and hope. To pre-register or request to tell your story, go to informedchoicewa.org and search Wenatchee. Or find TAPWA on Facebook for more event information. Sponsored by Informed Choice Washington. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. 
Hello, hello, and welcome back to the second hour of an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW and CHD TV. I want to say, as I did at the top of the first hour, that the views expressed in this program are not necessarily those of Children's Health Defense. We're going to get into a little bit of political talk here today because we are in the legislative session, and Washington State is has been presented one with one of the most frightening bills that I think that I have ever uh, seen. But then again, I've not paid attention to politics too much until the past decade of my life. Uh, So I'm talking about uh, House Bill 1333 that we talked about in that first hour. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen. Um, This next hour, we're going to continue on. I'm just really pleased to, to bring on with me a woman. Her name is Sarah Garriott, and she was another citizen who made the journey from wherever she lived down to the uh, capital um, Olympia in Washington state to do what can be a little bit nerve wracking and give uh, public comment in person um, because she's so opposed what that bill is all about. And I see there is Sarah. You're a little bit blurry. Let's see if we can hear you, Sarah. All right. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. So that's good. out to the coast today so tried to find a spot where i could get some reception okay yeah and if it if it looks like uh, the reception isn't going to be great we might have you turn off the camera so that it doesn't take up so much bandwidth but we'll see how this works to to get going um so um i don't know if you were able to listen to the first part of the show in the in the first hour i kind of we went through kind of what the bill is all about the framework of the bill that it's establishing um the domestic violence extremism commission when it was presented uh this past week before committee um it was only um described as or the the examples given were only far radical right white supremacism and issues of misinformation, disinformation, those vague issues out there. Bill Ferguson's um, or Bob Ferguson's uh, study on which this bill is based also only focuses on those with no mention of all the other types of, of extreme violence happening in Washington state. It just focused on that. Um, so I, I kind of took uh, viewers and listeners th- through this whole history, really showing what's happening is really not about what's happening. There's, um, uh, what is his name? Um, um, the dark horse podcast. I'll think of his name. I just was talking about him yesterday, but he said something that makes so much sense to me as he was analyzing what was going on through all of this COVID and as a, um, Evolutionary biologist, the guy who runs the Dark Horse podcast, said something like, when the, when the stated goal cannot be achieved by the actions and tools they want to implement, you can only conclude that they have another goal in mind. And that is what we have seen with the framework for the masks. Masks can't stop the spread of infection. What are you doing? Well, we realized they were laying the framework for the shots. And then the shots came along. And, well, they don't prevent the spread of infection either. So, but there it went into that framework of the masks, you know, getting on planes, trains, school, work, the whole thing. Control. But 
but they don't work either. So what is the purpose of the shots? Well, we're seeing now with HB 1333, it's to establish a similar public health style framework to introduce this idea that we've got this massive problem with domestic violent extremism. And so we're just going to use that framework that we've built to now have all of society and not just to go after cases of extreme of violence, but to prevent it. And so now we've got this model of prevention, which is so scary. With COVID, their preventive models held you as guilty, capable of infecting others, even if Killing you had grandma. zero symptoms. Killing grandma, even if you had zero symptoms, and even if you had natural immunity, right? So that's how they were forcing people to willingly hand over their freedoms, right? Um, so now they're going to do the same thing with with extremism. They're going to prevent extremism, which is such, I mean, when in history, when governments have sought out to try to shape and prevent and retrain people, has that ever been a good thing for freedom, for safety, for, for um, everything America really stands for? So that's where we ended the first hour. I gave you a summary. <laughs> thank you. Because I, just, I love, so thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And and so I'm going to um, uh, kind of how I met you was being so excited. You know, I was listening to this. I heard all these great voices, including um, somebody, uh, Laura, uh, Laura Gabriel, who I know is a nurse. So you and her both. Um, gave testimonies. So I'm going to ask to begin with, let's, let's hear yours. Um, let's hear TVW Sarah five, if we could please, Nathan. Good afternoon. My name is Sarah Garriott and I am a fourth generation Washingtonian raising a fifth. And I ask you to please reject HB 1333. Do not pass. The Attorney General's 2022 domestic terrorism study states that the, quote, effective state interventions, end quote, that the work group wants this commission to find ways to implement have the, quote, potential to implicate speech or association that may be protected by the First Amendment or the individual right to bear arms protected by the Second Amendment, end quote. In short, the study acknowledges up front that their proposed state interventions are unconstitutional. This bill violates Article 1, Section 5, 7, and 11 of the Washington State Constitution, which state in parts, quote, every person may freely speak, write, and publish on all subjects, and no person shall be disturbed in his private affairs, and absolute freedom of conscience shall be guaranteed to every individual that should be, and, and that, end quote, and that should be enough to end this bill here and now. In October of 2021, the NEA unjustly labeled peaceful parents across the country speaking in their children's defense at school board meetings as domestic terrorists. These parents were seeking the best interest of their children and were in no way being violent, and now here we are. Legalizing Orwellian actions such as data collection of citizens, establishing snitch lines for neighbors against neighbors, and sending people to re-education camps whose constitutionally protected speech those holding majority in power believe to be mis- or disinformation 
does not make these actions any more justified or moral. It makes them worse. I urge you to please reject this. I have three children at home, though I have white hair, and I want their future to be free. Thank you. Oh, I'm so proud of you. That was so well done. Beautifully delivered and written. I got white hair too. <laughs> so we got to rock the white hair. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, you just wonder how many of those legislators are aware that around the world and here in the United States, doctors like Dr. Meryl Nass up in Massachusetts, her medical board, She's, I think she's like 70, um, hauled her in and told her that because of her stance on certain subjects, ivermectin, the shots, the masks, that she had to not only go to um, some sort of mental health evaluation, but they were going to make her pay for it. Of course, she refused to do. She got an attorney. It was ridiculous. Ooh. So... You know, it, it is the, all these little test grounds. Let's see. Can we claim that the spreading of misinformation, which is whatever we deem it to be, um, is a mental health issue? You know, it's it's really, really this dangerous slope that we are seeing. And that is exactly you. You did such a brilliant job. Go ahead. They're using all of this as a test of social responsibility, right? The whole thing, I think we even saw the, was it the WEF that came out just this week while they were meeting? And that's what they said. They said this was COVID was a test of social responsibility, which we knew all along. This was how far can we push this? You know, how far can we push them before they push them? COVID and that's what we're seeing with 1333, only it's further, much, much further than, you know, we did before then. Yes, yeah, so COVID, they're saying is a test of social responsibility and what they made people turn again, person against person. If you didn't do these prescribed things, then you are not socially responsible and you are selfish. Even though you've got a stack of documents that said that mask cannot protect anybody. So I, I had a friend at the beginning of all this and I had done all my mask research and she had a, her husband was going through cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, let me send you the, the information on masks because they're not protecting him. Mm -hmm. And she got angry and refused to engage anymore. And I'm like, I, I'm not doing this. I'm not shunning her. I'm not mocking the mask. I'm saying if you really want to protect your husband, this mask won't do it. Right. I, I was trying to encourage her to make sure he avoids, you know, because the people were were doing dangerous behaviors, thinking that this mask on their face, you know, and this is in the early days before we really knew what COVID was. Um, um and you know, even if you, and just now having this con this conversation that you and I are having about masks, if you remember one of that, that infamous slide that came up yes. during the 1333 hearing that yeah. said, you know, those four quadrants of these are the things that we believe are indices, indices of, you know, domestic violent extremism. And one of them was going to your school board and talking about masks or vaccinations yeah. And that's really something else because how many of us went and said, I know a mother, I'm, I 
certainly went to my school board meeting. As I said, I have, still have three children. And we were very much against these masks because we saw the harm that it was doing to these children. We saw that they were having speech issues. I had a mother come to me and tell me, she said, my son, who is 10 years old, said, mom, I don't feel like I have control over my own body. She said, what do you mean? She said, the adults get to choose what I put on my face or, and what I don't. And she wisely just asked him, how do you, how do you deal with that? He said, he said this, it was so disturbing. He said, I just pretend it's not my own body and then it doesn't hurt so much anymore. Oh, that is just, just heartbreaking. tears my heart apart. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the type of language that we hear from, you know, sexual abuse victims, from rape victims, from people who've been through the horrors of war. And mm -hmm. here we had a child who was being forced to wear a mask for something that he had over a 99% survival rate from, because if he didn't wear it, they tried to guilt him into being a murderer. The yeah. type of stress that we put on our children. And now if I say that out loud, just having this conversation, our own government, our attorney general is trying to tell us that we are domestic violent extremists for mm -hmm. the violent extreme measures that they put on our children. It mm -hmm. is outrageous and it is unconscious. It's heinous. It and is. it just, mm -hmm. I, it just <laughs> I could not believe. Yeah. Oh dear. We we've lost her. So hopefully Sarah will, will dial back in. She's in a place uh, with not great connection, but I absolutely agree with what she, um, what she is saying there. And while we wait for her to, to reconnect, I'm going to, um, I'm going to read a little bit more uh, from this post that we have on our website and on our sub stack, because it's just so important to really understand the big picture of what's going on here. So after that um, committee hearing of the um, HB 1333, PBS NewsHour interviewed uh, Attorney General Bob Ferguson. And uh, the, re the interviewer mentioned something, um, uh, in quote, in many of these recent cases of violent extremism, including in the case of the Oath Keepers that were just found guilty of seditious conspiracy, these aren't young men. These are men in their 40s, 50s, even in their 60s. Um, and that's a partial quote there. Um, and Ferguson replied, quote, and that's what creating commission is all about. We'd be the first state to create the commission that you mentioned at the outset. And that would bring together experts to engage on making specific recommendations on exactly this kind of issue. We can do, what can we do to prevent the radicalization of folks who are a bit older, as you said, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, and help them, help them to get rid of that let me say that again, and help them to get out of that if they are radicalized. So, oh, good. I see that Sarah is back. So I, you know, the, the age group that, that Ferguson now, it's obvious that those of us with white hair in our forties, fifties, and sixties, we're the ones showing up at board mm -hmm. meetings. We're the ones saying no story time drag hour for children these masks are ridiculous. Right. We're not getting these clot shots, you know, other things. Yes. Right. And defending, so, our defending our children, defending ourselves, standing for scientific integrity, for morality, 
right? For freedom. And so here he is saying, now this, I ask you, Sarah, Ferguson is introducing the idea that there is some connection between individuals convicted of seditious conspiracy and people of a certain age like us who just happen to be the majority of those in the above slides, blue bubbles, you know, anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, you know, um, election election integrity, all of that. Right. Um, So how exactly does Bob Ferguson think he can prevent people between the ages of 40 and 70 from distrusting Pfizer and the FDA? How will he convince them that it's a good thing for men to gyrate suggestively in front of four-year-olds in public drag shows? And how does he propose to, quote, help them get out of that, unquote, frame of well, mind? She right? has in, in the study that they, you know, that he proposes the commission go off of for 1333, he has a list of, the, of what he calls primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention strategies. As you, I don't know if you covered that in the first hour or not. No, no, let's cover that. He says the first thing that you need to do, and I'll just read it here because it's so stunning. Of course, you have to have funding. Use our own tax dollars against us to do this. He talks about addressing radicalization before it takes root, including through broad civic education, media literacy, entire population focus. Well, that's okay. So he's probably to use propaganda let's just call it for what it is you know that's what he wants to do and he's saying of course he's going to use it to to combat propaganda and false information but really what he's going to do is educate our children uh, educate through the public schools and certainly through using the media that's his primary the secondary prevention he said aims to mitigate the impacts of already radicalized people i would assume he means people like you and i who are already speaking up against masks and you know and, you know the oversexualization of our children in school and he says in groups primarily and these are the things he suggests through surveillance monitoring arrest interruption of plots barricading of doors hardening of soft targets etc these are key to crisis mitigation and violence prevention efforts but cannot stand on their own as the sole prevention of strategy so in other words he wants to keep anyone from pushing back or fighting back he's going to barricade us in our homes arrest us and that type of thing and monitor and surveil us in the united states of america the tertiary prevention it's dy- it's dystopian. It's Orwellian. I, I just can't believe that I'm sitting here having this conversation here. And I'm a fourth generation Washingtonian, like I said in my testimony. Never would I have thought something like this would come from our government or anyone for that matter here in the United States. Right. And the and third one is, I'm, just, I'm sorry, go ahead and read this. Okay. He says to focus de-radicalization efforts, including the third level is through prison de-radicalization programs and exit type counseling services that aim to help radicalized individuals leave extremist groups. What exactly are those counseling services? I mean, they could be anything. If he's going to a medical health, public health model, uh, Hitler used public health models 
That's exactly what he did. He might think he's the first innovative person to bring this to a state in the United States. That's because we stomped it out under Nazi Germany. That's Stalin-esque. Mm -hmm. It's Mao Zedong. That's North Korea. That's not what we do here in the United States of America. And yeah. I am just I'm completely blown away by this. Yeah. And, and so, the past you know, few years have been leading up to the more extreme that they have been on so many of these issues. And then the, the, the greater they label those of us who just want, again, I say scientific integrity and public health policy, you know, um, you know, fair votes, right. um, you know, stop sexualizing the children. Let's have a little morality. Um, you know, I, you know, just the, and then the more the extreme, they get pushing all of these things on us. I mean, did you ever in your, in your life think that somebody would present to a Washington state legislative committee, a slide that said that individuals who tried to interrupt drag queen story hours, that the bad guy would children. be the person interrupting them rather than the people trying to hold them. What on earth, right? So this, this has been, this has been planted that this division, this trying to, um, to have all of these parts of society appear to be like, if you, if you're opposed to that, they, it's like, they're creating things, trying to get us angry. So I encourage everybody get, mm -hmm. get angry. Yeah. But stay, stay peaceful. peaceful. Uh, you know, find a way angry, to stay peaceful in your heart, in your manner, in your action. Right. <laughs> um, talk a lot. I mean, angry. You should be angry because they are, this is targeted at our children. And absolutely, every person should be upset. But no violence, right? That's that's what they want us to do. Yeah. And that's we can't we cannot do that. And of course, the Trojan horse of white supremacy. That that's what they're yeah. they're using that as this battering ram. Because how could you be against this bill if it's to fight white supremacy? Nobody wants to be a white supremacist. So you want to you know I'm going to stay away from saying I'm against that with a ten foot pole. And that's why they're putting that label on everything as yes. this. Trojan horse that causes them to shrink is well, I don't want to anyone think I'm a white supremacist. Well, who wants to be a white supremacist? None no, of us right. do. No, of course not. Don't. Yeah. That's why we're trying to put a label on everything so that if you reject it, well, you must be one. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. Yes. And so we need to yes. calm down for what it is. Yes, we do. We we need to be uh brave mama and papa bears and just stand up for truth. Um, and not be intimidated because fear and intimidation is exactly what they, the tools they want to use to keep us silent so they can establish all of this. But that's just selling out our children and grandchildren. Um, there's a famous old saying. Uh, I don't remember where it comes from. I heard it from like on Epoch Times somewhere um, that you can vote your way into communism, but your grandchildren will have to shoot their way out. And, you know. Yeah. Right. So if they're with they're trying very hard to make us all feel ashamed to stand up and oppose something, like you said, because they they put it behind the mask of, of course, I don't. Of course, I don't believe in 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 white supremacism. Of course, I don't believe in discrimination. That's not what this is about. <laughs> um, no. No, and remotely, and, but that's 
want to make it about so that they make you look like they the way they want to keep everybody silent and afraid just like you said by through fear fear mongering yeah. tactics and mm. you know in the first hour I uh, we showed a video of a journalist from KUOW who linked in 2019 made this audacious comment that that mostly white women who who are the ones who don't vaccinate and it's because they fear brown people. I mean, you have to. I'll put a link in the thing. You, I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And and she says, so really, vaccination is an anti-racist act. I mean, it makes no sense. I'm like, what? But I was so appalled. I was there in person. Um, and but I wanted to tell you about another time because we, I have seen the seeds of attempting to make people who oppose, um, who who want vaccine safety reform who want medical freedom and informed consent um, to label us and attack us. And I was at a, another University of Washington event. Um, it was UW Bothell. It was a professor uh, looking at the vaccine anti-vaccine movement. And he put a slide up on the screen of a, it was a big vaccine conference. And I, can't, I think it was down in Atlanta. And there were protesters there. Now, I knew these protesters because there are people in the vaccine safety movement who have vaccine injured children for the most part. There were probably 50 or so people there. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, we're talking moms, a lot of them with gray hair like us. Right. Some have kids in wheelchairs. Some, you know, our kids were on the spectrum, you know, so they're like, you know, the all the different issues. But they're just peaceful moms with their signs you know, saying we want, you know, end mandates, reform pharma, make pharma liable again, that sort of a thing. So anyway, this professor in Washington is putting up these slides and he's got this language that connected events like this with violence. He implied that this event, that violence occurred. And I was shocked. I was sitting there shocked. So I go home and I reach out to my friends who were there. I said, was there any violence at that event? And she laughed and sent me pictures of her and the other moms with their signs arm in arm with the police. Like, peace, man. You know, usually when you get talking to the the police at these events, they say, yeah, my son or, you know, I've got a cousin and yeah, I'm really concerned about there's so many shots. I mean, they're, they're usually very kind and respectful and they usually have a story. Uh -huh. um, so I was so, you know, I upset. It kind of snowballed and it got really bad because all the people found out who I was talking about and tried to get him fired. But that's a whole other story I don't have time to go into right now. But it was attempting to plant the seed that those of us standing against the powers that be. Ultimately, all of this, all of this, Sarah, is meant that the powers that be want to keep us under control. They want to silence us. And they're using all of these issues as vehicles to intimidate and silence us. They want us to look violent. They want us to look mean. They want us to look like discriminatory, discriminatory, you know, supremacist kind of people. And um, well, it's remarkable with 1333. I don't mean to interrupt. Should, is that okay? <laughs> no, go yes. That's really what what's stunning to me also is that this commission uh, you maybe you talked about this in the first hour is really a, a cherry-picked group of margin traditionally marginalized minorities you know that they want to use to put on the commission 
but no white people, no Christians, no, you know, any of those groups. No. It would just be black people, African Americans, indigenous population, LGBTQ, all of these people. And what I think is remarkable is what we're seeing is someone like the attorney general using his actual privilege and power to leverage these minority groups in an effort to then target his political opposition. Yes. And that to me is a heinous abuse of power. Yes. I mean, I can't think of anything worse, right? You should not be abusing these people in these groups. They should be treated with great respect, not used to go after your own political party yeah. or, or opponents, excuse me. So that in itself is, and then they're of course flipping it on its head and calling it, they're going after white supremacy. So that's just irrational, first of all. Yeah. Well, but, you know, you, you but, bring up we, a really good point, Sarah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I love your point. Your point is he's doing exactly what he's claiming we're doing. He's using his power and privilege, and he's he's abusing the very people he says he's protecting. Um, exactly. Right. By using exactly. them. And do you, do they really, you know, think if this goes through and, and he creates the society that he hopes to create, do we really think that he's, he, you know, is Mr. You know, white privilege himself is going to. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, just, I don't know, if you know on November 30th, on November 30th of this, just this last November, uh, Jay Inslee, our governor, came to Tacoma, Washington, and he gave a speech there on equity or something about that and education. And um, it was very similar to this idea where they're abusing, in my opinion, these mar traditionally marginalized people to forward their own objectives. And often, I don't know if you've heard them give these land acknowledgements, you know, for the indigenous oh, yeah. people that yeah. they do these meetings at and to me, what I had a conversation with someone who's a proponent of those. I met her for coffee, and I just said, you know, I don't drink coffee, but we met, <laughs> and we sat there and talked across the table. And I said, don't you see that asking young children to say out loud that they are living on stolen land, that their parents stole this land, is abusive for these children? Mm -hmm. They have no concept of what you're talking about. And so, but anyway. Inslee, Jay Inslee went on of this equity summit and he said, and I wanted to read this to you what he said. He said, quote, this country has elevated a story of democracy and freedom while minimizing the impact of violence and oppression on marginalized communities on, the, on whose backs this nation was built. And then he goes on and talks about how these foundational principles of liberty such as, and he had, they had the list there that this educational agency presented. I don't know if it was Inslee himself who said it or the agency who presented it, but I know it was at that same meeting. And they went on and said, such as individualism, these are the principles of liberty that he thinks are need to be shifted. Our culture needs to be shifted away from. Individualism, objectivity, worship of the written word, and those things need to be shifted to the side and instead need to be replaced by something that they call, what was it, the word they used? Um, indigenous relational pedagogy. And they want it to be, and he said, needs to, those things like individualism should be shifted for collectivism, which we know is Marxism. 
And that's mm-hmm. what they said in 1333, the, we need to take a whole of society approach, but that's what they're looking for. And then orality rather than the worship of the written word. In other words, the oral tradition. We're going to not teach our kids to read anymore. Well, we all know what that does to people. It enslaves them. That's how you lose your culture, your tradition, your laws. Everything falls apart. This, and he just goes on and says, you know, oh, and one of the other things under the foundational principles was defensiveness. We need to get rid of it, and we need to instead shift it to humility and gentleness. Who doesn't want humility and gentleness? But if you think about it, are they referring, I have to ask the question, are you saying we shouldn't have the Second Amendment because we feel like we are have a right to defend ourselves? Oh, no, you should be humble. And you should be gentle. So, yes, we should be humble and gentle, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be able to have the Second Amendment as we do. So you see that they're using this indigenous group of people, again, to forward Marxism and Marxist totalitarianism, really. And it's a very dangerous road, and it's incredibly abusive to these people who are traditionally marginalized because, no, they're not going to. Oh, shoot. She got cut off again. I'm just so enjoying my conversation with Sarah. Uh, Just I I love what she knows and what she brings to this conversation. So she'll she'll sign back in and uh, and then she gets to finish up uh, what she was saying. And I'll go ahead and tell my listeners here that she reminded me of a time it when I first started interacting with with public health and with government. And at meeting openings, I see Sarah's coming back on. Yay, there she is. Um, so Sarah, I, I was just about to tell that just this little aside um, that you reminded me of. When I first started interacting and attending public meetings, nobody opened with, um, you know, saying that this building that we are in, you know, was stolen from, you know, the natives right. of this land. And there was one particular meeting in this past year, and I think it was the Vaccine Advisory Committee. Now, um, you know, indigenous populations and, um, you know, various populations have really been targeted by pharmaceutical industry over the years, right? Just horrific experiments on them. And, you know, these COVID shots are dangerous, very dangerous. And, this this their group is they are you know they've got people that are trying really really hard to just get as many vaccines into the native americans of of washington state as they can and i can't remember what i said but i ended up at the last minute altering my public comment to begin it with saying how appalled i was that they paid fake lip service to these Mm -hmm. indigenous people and then they're ignoring, you know, here, here they've got probably way better ways of dealing with health if they were allowed to explore some of their uh, native traditions, you know, I mean, if they're with the native foods and the herb, herbs and all that, there's probably something the equivalent of ivermectin within herbal medicine, right? Um, and, and, you know, you're just thrusting these pharmaceuticals on them and it's just, it's just lip service. You're not helping them. Who told you to say this? You guys just didn't wake up one day and say, oh, gosh, you know, we need to start doing this. It's just so fake. It's it's all so fake. And I've got a little native in me, um, but I, we probably all do. You know, we're all related. We're all the, there's one race. There's the human race. Well, somebody <laughs> said to me, somebody, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I, I, I wish that I could remember her name. And what she said really struck home with me. And she said, you know, this whole idea of equity 
inclusion and diversity that they keep you know teaching our kids over and over and over again and us and i she said you know diversity is a wonderful virtue and it is i love people and cultures i was a german major i a spanish minor i've lived all over the world i actually met my husband we were both studying at nanjing university in china we we're both studying mandarin chinese i love people i have a native american sister that um that was adopted actually into our family i love i love people of all cultures and all people creeds colors all of it i love it diversity is wonderful and beautiful and i reject any kind of you know rap, national supremacy of any kind in that in that regard so Amen. but the the thing that's more important and this is what she said in that quote in the podcast she said diversity is beautiful and a wonderful value but unity is more so mm. And I really think that's what we have to come back to, right? We have to say, but how, again, how are we more alike than we are different? Where is our humanity in what do we have in common rather than having all of these, you know, safe spaces that we can go talk to as if the others are unsafe by being not, excluding them. Mm -hmm. And so bringing each other together and like you said at the beginning of this, having these conversations back again where we can speak together and have more than three minutes at a hearing in a school board meeting or at a, at a community meeting, we need to be able to have these conversations and come back together as um, a people. And the way mm -hmm. forward for all of this is that kind of communication, is that kind of centering on unity and what we have in common, that we need to be one people, one heart, one mind, and to love each other in that way. And then again, to educate our children and our communities on the foundational principles of liberty, right? What is it um, that that is foundational to liberty that is key? Certainly information is one of them. Being a well-educated society is one of them. Having truth and knowing, having things foundation, foundational on truth and humanity, what is common to humans is critical in a free a society. And um, that's, how, that's how you correct all of these abuses of power is through teaching our children, these foundational principles, getting back to constitutional principles, studying those framers of the constitution and what they taught, how they came to the conclusions they did that built this greatest um, civilization had the most liberty that, that that's why people are flocking here, right? That's why they're mm -hmm. crossing our borders in great numbers, not because we're a white supremacist nation. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't come here if we would. Because they want that freedom and totalitarianism. Oh, we're we're losing your voice. Oh, I think it caught up with you. <laughs> I do have to go pretty soon in, in any case, but just to wrap, I think that's kind of a, a hopeful thing. I hope that we can that we can move that forward. I, I do that too. We can it's educate all ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was a little bit heartened the other day. I, I listen when I drive. I go to Nashville and back. It's four and a half hours or so. So I'm all over the dial as I go into one range or another. Um, and I was listening to public radio and I was really encouraged because they were interviewing um, a gentleman on what is usually, you know, more on the left side of things. But um, on this radio station. But he was just talking about the need for civic education 
for children to be taught the foundations of this nation, to be taught about the branches of government, about the balance of powers, um, all of that stuff, why free speech is important. And it just made me feel so good. And it's like, this is what we need. We need to get together and, you know, people we consider are being on opposite sides, begin by finding common ground and then branch out from there. Right. And then, okay, we're going to agree to completely disagree always on this topic. Okay. Let's come back to where we agree so that we can really be that great nation we're supposed to be. They make us feel way more divided than we really are. I mean, ultimately, every human being, we want we want to feel safe. We want to feel empowered, love, love yes. cared about, but be able to make our own decisions, you know, and not feel like somebody else is forcing us to live a life we don't want to live. Don't, you don't believe in, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm kind of running the show upside down a little bit. I leaped right into this amazing dialogue with you, Sarah, but I never got around to actually asking, who the heck are you, uh, <laughs> Sarah Garriott? Um, so you, you've told us that you're, you know, you're a wife and a mom and you speak many languages. You lived in China for a time. I heard all of that in, in some of your talk, which is exciting. You seem so well educated on a lot of um, issues that I only know marginally, like uh, civics and, and various things. I see, I can't even spit it out to you because that's not my <laughs> daily work, but um, tell me. Like how, how has life changed for you as this mom? And I know you're part of an organization. You're wearing your own mama hat now. You're not representative of it, but you do belong to a, a my own. I am. I have just, we just started a, a chapter for Moms for Liberty, Pierce County in Washington. And I am the new chapter chair. We've only been formed for about three months, but I, yes, I am speaking for my own self, not for Moms for Liberty National or for that chapter today. Um, but that is something that we felt passionate about again, because we, I see this need to once again, bring Liberty back and they have a great program really for bringing books into the schools that teach this, you know, Liberty Prince foundational Liberty principles, having Madison moments where you get together with your friends and your coworkers, your neighbors, bring them into your home and discuss the constitution, discuss the declaration of independence. We need to, to fan the flames of Liberty back into the hearts of the people. Yeah. It's just so critical that we do that and help them to then have the courage to speak out and not be shamed. I think that, I mean, we got ourselves here, didn't we? By saying, we're not going to speak our mind. We're just going to put our heads down. And, and we really just trusted that people were doing always the right thing. And um, as a German major back in the day, I lived in Germany for a while, etc. had lots of conversations around this. And I had one class, it was a Holocaust literature class. And I remember very clearly thinking while I was in that class that the, the German people who I love um, had such a, they often would say things like, you know, we saw it happening. We just didn't really believe it was going to happen or that it wouldn't go that far. And they were afraid to speak out. And then it became neighbor against neighbor and all of the things that happened. And I remember thinking to myself, if I ever see that come here to my home, I will not be that person that's feels regret later on down the road and says, I didn't, I saw it, I knew it, and I didn't say anything. I will not be the person who can look in my grandchildren's eyes and they say, Grandma, you knew it, and you said nothing. Mm -hmm. So here it is. 
it's at our doorstep. That's exactly what this 1333 is. Yes. And so I rearranged my schedule and I went down. I brought my daughter with me. She was sitting back in the back row, my oldest with me and um, gave that testimony. And I will continue, I hope, to be able to do that. Regardless, frankly, as if this passes and they decide to barricade our doors or rest, we cannot stop. This is unjust, not right. And the only way forward is by speaking the truth and by doing it peacefully, mm -hmm. but consistently, and fanning that flame of liberty into the hearts of our children. Yeah. Oh, I, I just, every word, every word, Sarah, it's, I'm, I'm so glad uh, to have discovered you. And I, I hope that in the future, you'll be coming on again to have these really great conversations. Um, I think you bring so much uh, important things to the table. I had a really, oh, what was my thought? I should not, it's that time of day here that I like thoughts go in and out and then, and then they are gone. But um but yeah, I mean, it's it's each one of, oh, I know what it was. Each one of us leading up to this, and I keep thinking about that. And I said in the last hour, we've been complacent as Americans. We've put our heads down, go to work, come home, turn on the TV. You know, it's all about when's that football game going to be on and just really sort of led these sort of isolated lives. It was much easier to do than get involved. In the, and then, of course, the way modern life is spread out in suburbs where you don't know your neighbors, you don't have the sense of community. There's, there's so much that we lost over the past decades that really lent itself to not paying attention to your community, not knowing your neighbors, not really being involved in that. And then of course the, the complacency happened. Um, and through the specific thing that informed Twist Washington and informed life radio often focus on, on health issues in particular vaccines for, for decades, there would be behind closed door conversations. Doctors would say, I know you're right. I know that some of these shots are dangerous or there's too many or some of the kids are being hurt. But if I speak up, I'll lose my career. I'll lose my license. I will be mocked. I will be shamed. Yes. Right. In the United States of America. And that's what's right. so sad. We have the same thing happening, you know, with teachers right now. Right. Please, you know, give this information out. But don't tell them I gave it to you because I don't want to lose my job. So thankfully, you know, my husband is fantastic and he is an independent general contractor. He owns his own business and his through his work, I'm able to continue doing what I do and being able to be out there. So I am so grateful for that because we're not owned by anyone. Mm -hmm. I can still a free American yeah. and I can speak freely my mind without fear still. And unless they pass 1333, I can redress my government without fear of retaliation, which mm -hmm. is something that we should all be able to do. That's just, you'd think that would be normal. You know, when I was in China, I remember asking some of my professors questions in my Chinese classes about what was happening in the government there or whatever. And they would furtively sometimes look out in the hall because they wanted to know, you know, is somebody listening to me? And mm -hmm. they would just change the subject. And mm -hmm. I remember just being shocked. What do you mean you can't just talk about it? Just say what you think. That's what we do. We just say what you think. And I remember the, it was in August of 2020 when I was on Facebook 
and I first saw all of the, I mean, I was within two days of the lockdowns. I said, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't constitutional. You can't do that. You can't tell us we can't go to church. You can't tell us we can't sing at church. That's something that is a God-given right. And nobody, not even the governor, no matter if it's a pandemic or not, can tell us that we can't do those things. And so I was very alarmed. And then when you saw them, you know, allowing some people go to back to work like Boeing with 20,000 employees, and the governor saying, well, you know, we have this industry, we don't want to lose it. So we decided that they could go back to work. But then all these cottage industries being shut down. I mean, it was, it was just so reminiscent of what took place under Mao Zedong's Red Guard or under Hitler Youth and all the different things that they did in this time to crush the middle class, etc. So we saw these things taking place and just not being able to really, oh, as I know I was going there, it was in August of 20, 2020 then, I published, because of that, I, I wrote the quote by Joseph Goebbels, you know, where he says, you tell a lie often enough, and it, you know, becomes the truth to the people. I, that was the first time I put that in there. I actually wrote it in German in my Facebook feed. And within a day or two, they shut my feed down and told me that I was in timeout for three days because it, my comment didn't go with community standards. And I turned to my husband that day and I said, that's not how we do things in the United States of America. That's how they do it in communist China. And that's when I knew everything I was being told was suspect, at least suspect, because we don't shut down speech here. So we all, all it into the public square and we hash it out civilly. And then the truth rises to the top. We don't say your comment doesn't go with, you know, community. No, because individuals have the freedom to speak. Yeah. And all you said was a famous quote that if you tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. And they right. sh that was enough to go in Facebook jail. You didn't yeah, associate it with anything else. Because they said I was quoting Ed, a dangerous individual. It was the reasoning <laughs> that they gave. Well, you know, what's interesting, it was just like three months later, I actually heard Joe Biden quote that in public on the news. And I thought, oh, well, did they shut him down? Of course not. I mean, but I have been multiple times. I think the last, you'll appreciate this, the one of the last ones I received, they shut me down for 90 days because I posted a live video of public hearing testimony from Texas. I believe it was Dr. McCullough who was giving testimony there. I published that on my, or posted it on my Facebook, and they within seconds of posting that video of live public testimony from a medical doctor during a pandemic, they shut my feed down for 90 days. I was stunned and I kept thinking, well, you know, wait for the 90 days, but it was always something. It was something different. You can't advertise, you can't talk, you can't like or dislike. It was never consistent. The punishment was never consistent. And over time, I kept waiting for them to say, well, now you did it. Now you can't come to our birthday party. You know, I just, yeah. like, it is, you know, so childish, such playground manipulation. Yes, exactly. Being able to say, speak my mind. Yeah. And, and we've got America. Yeah. And exactly everything that you just said. And we were just about out of time down to about the last minute. And just like in the last hour, we're really in kind of the same place. What, what is the solution here? The solution is stand up and speak out mm -hmm. peacefully, loudly, 
grab your friend, hold hands. This is it. Um, I've got a little bit of a crude expression that I've been saying for a couple of years now, and I apologize, but it's stand up or bend over time, people. So let's do it, right? Anybody who believes and knows that everything is wrong, now is the time to stand up. We all join hands and stand together. We win. We can create community again. We can get rid of division. We can we can support this great society that we have and find harmony with, with the wonderful diversity. We can do this, but it takes all of us together rising up, speaking out. So you got your marching orders, people. Um, you can do it. And if you're a little afraid, go with a friend to the Capitol. Go with a friend yeah. to places to speak up, you know, to, together you'd be like Lucy and Ethel. You don't want to be like those other two who drove off a cliff. You're going to be like Lucy and Ethel, a little bit of chocolate. You're going to be okay. So, well, with that, here comes Thank the music. So Sarah Garriott, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for joining Thank me you. on an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD to TV. We will be back next week. Maybe I'll have you guys call in and let me know what you did to speak up and speak truth till next time. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific justice Institute for over 25 years. PJI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Were you harmed by the COVID-19 pandemic response? Were you or a loved one injured by the vaccines or the hospital protocols? Did you lose your business during the lockdowns, your job from the mandates? Did the school closures and forced masking hurt your children? Did your family suffer spiritually and emotionally from the church closures? You are valued. You are seen. Sharing your story can help begin the healing process. Truth and Accountability Project Washington, TAPWA, through Informed Choice Washington, is holding a listening session event this Saturday, January 28th, from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Wenatchee Convention Center. Doors open at 1 o'clock. Come here from NBA legend John Stockton, a rising voice for medical freedom, and many other important voices from within our community. Come to build community, to create a historical record, to find help and hope. To pre-register or request to tell your story, go to informedchoicewa.org and search Wenatchee. Or find TAPWA on Facebook for more event information. Sponsored by Informed Choice Washington.